0: It's great to be together this morning and I just want to spend a few moments today just looking at um, a subject which has kind of come up to me over the last couple of weeks really and um, that is hope okay Um, and it seems to be a bit in short supply at the moment hope. We uh, seem to um, be in a day where people are feeling a bit hopeless you know, we're in the weeks before Easter now, just the next few weeks before Easter. And we're looking forward to, aren't we, that hopeful day that Easter brings. You know, as Christians, um, Easter is kind of like central to our faith. And it's the, it's the best day in the calendar, isn't it, Easter Day? I love Easter Day when we come together and we celebrate and our, a day of hope that we're looking forward to. But I think like in our time, we're living in a hopeless time, Um, I don't know whether it's because people have felt isolated during this period of Covid but um, people I speak to at the moment this week particularly Um, We've had people who are feeling really hopeless, like they don't have much hope in their lives. I don't know if you've um, seen the news this morning, um, over the last week or so. Um, I speak, I'm going to sound like I'm cool now, but I'm not. Okay, I don't know if you've um, seen the news about Taylor Hawkins, you know, the drummer from the Foo Fighters, who sadly um, died this week. Well, the headlines this morning were that he was, they don't know the cause of death yet, but they said Fan um, hotel room with a whole concoction of drugs inside his body. And it's just so sad, isn't it? Such a young life, such a talent, such a, um, an amazing guy, you know, who, who played the drums so fantastically well um, to be lost at such a young age. People are feeling hopeless. And today I want to speak to anyone who feels like their life does not matter. I'm going to say a statement and it's black and white, and it is, you are wrong, okay? You are wrong. I want to tell you this morning that you are loved by God. You are loved by God. You are loved by so many people more than you realize. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose, and there is a plan for your life today, Okay, I want to really say that today. When you're younger, okay, things can seem overwhelming. Okay, as um, a young person, sometimes you feel, particularly I'm picking out on young people, because sometimes things feel overwhelming. You're in a difficult season of your lives and exams and study and all those kind of things. And things seem overwhelming. overwhelming but I want to say to you you're going to get through it you will get through it this is one of the advantages of growing older there aren't many advantages of growing older I have to say okay and I'm not old yet I know that but it, you know there aren't many advantages of getting older sometimes do you anyone ever else like me feel like you're a 16 year old trapped in an older body you know and you think about all the things you used to be able to do well I can do some of them but sometimes when I get off the floor now I think and my knees are a bit creaky but if you're young and you're facing a crisis right now no matter how hard it might feel at this moment you will get through it even if you cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel there is a light Okay, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It will pass. It might pass like a kidney stone. Okay, it might feel really tough and really painful, but you will pass through it and you will get through it, however overwhelming and hard it may feel at the moment, God can take all of that hurt and that pain and that difficulty and that overwhelming feeling, the things that you experience in your life, and he can ultimately use it for his good so that you can touch the lives of others around you. people who are going through a similar thing. He wants to make you into the man or the woman that he has created you to be, his plan, his purpose for your life. He wants to use those things. Um, And so we can have hope we all need a good dose of hope this morning, okay? We really need hope. There's a cardiologist. Now, I don't. I know it got its name, but it won't, won't mean anything to you anyway, but he wrote an autobiography, and he wrote this. Hope is the medicine I use more than any other thing. It can cure nearly anything if we have hope, if we have hope, if we keep our eyes on the light at the end of the tunnel, even though it's dark, it's frightening, it's overwhelming where I am, I will get to the end. I will get to the light at the end of the tunnel. I want to look at three things this morning that will help us to, um, as we look at how we can live happy, fulfilled, free lives, um, full of hope. Um, And I want to have a look at just, yeah, three points today. It's a proper sermon. It's got three points. Okay. So there we go. Uh, Firstly, if we keep God's commands, we will find happiness okay? If we keep God's commands, we will find happiness. Right at the beginning of the Psalms, okay, often if we're going to take ourselves away and we're going to uh, meditate or pause or think about the scriptures, we will meditate on a psalm often. We just think about the Psalms. But right at the very start of the Psalms, the first thing, Psalm 1, verse 1 says this, the one whose delight is in the law of the lord now that might sound a bit heavy this morning do we delight in the law of the lord in god's word okay so i have a challenge for you just with the person next to you or in a little group just make a just you know just chat about this can you list all the ingredients in a big mac okay quick challenge go Okay, you ready? Okay, what do you reckon there is? Some of you are looking at me like, what is a Big Mac? I'm like, what? Okay, so uh, you ready? So what have you got, first of all? Two burgers. Two burgers. You've got two burgers in a Big Mac, yeah? Tomatoes. Tomato. no, you don't have tomato in a Big Mac. No, there you go. What, what next? Uh, pickles, yeah, you have sliced, the sliced gherkin pickles, yeah? The, what did someone say? The bun. Yeah, you have a triple bun, don't you? You have three. You have a piece of bun in the middle as well between your burgers. Okay, anything else? Lettuce, cheese. Yeah, and one more. Oh, no, two more things. Onion and one more special Big Mac sauce. Vicky, you're on this. Look at you. Go, girl. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. So we've got all the ingredients to a Big Mac burger. Okay, there you go. Why did I ask you to list the ingredients of a Big Mac when we haven't even got a McDonald's in Guernsey? Okay, um, why, why did I get you to do that? You know, co- it's said that the quarter of the population can name all the ingredients in a Big Mac within 20 seconds. They can say the ingredients and yet only 14% of people can name some of the Ten Commandments, okay? Not even all of them, okay? So we know more about the ingredients of a Big Mac than we do about the Ten Commandments, okay? But the Ten Commandments are the foundation of our legal system today. They're still the foundation, they're still the base um, of our legal system. They aren't some kind of Dusty old set of rules, okay, that um, we think just were relevant years and years ago. They have an importance and an impact for our lives today. God's made it really simple for us, and I'm glad he does make things simple for us. He's just written it out. It's all there for us to read very clearly. He gives us a solution to our problems right here in God's word. And he puts it so simply in the 10 commandments. So just going to briefly go through them. Um, not going to take too long, but um, have a look at them. So number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay. And we're going to have a little look about what this means later on. Okay. This is, this is number one. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below or in the waters below, okay? Um, And mine says, do not bow down or serve them, okay, my version. Idolatry, okay? Let's not have idols before God. Now, you might not, maybe you have. Have you got, anyone got a golden calf in their garden that they bow down and worship every morning? No, probably not, okay? We probably haven't got anything like that today in our gardens or in our homes. Um, But there are lots of things that we put before our relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm nearly through this book, which is fantastic, but can I recommend it? The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, how to slow our lives down and uh, um, just to spend time with God and, uh, and get rid of some of the things that just really don't matter. And I read this Oh, look, there's my um, key card from the Premier Inn that I should have returned. Sorry, using it as a bookmark. Um, Right. (laughs) Don't tell them, don't tell them. Okay, um, if anyone wants it, you can get into a room for the night. Um, Okay, um, here we go. Um, So this is what it says here. I'm thinking about idols. The average guy spends 10,000 hours playing video games by the age of 21. Okay, 10,000 hours playing video games by the age of 21. And it says this, my mind jumps to research around this rule. In 10,000 hours, it's been said that you can master any craft or become an expert in any field, from archaeologist to Olympic winter water polo. You could get your bachelor's degree and your master's degree. You could memorise the whole of the New Testament Or you could beat level four of Call of Duty. (laughs) There you go. So it just shows, doesn't it? It just shows what we spend our time on. The things we don't always realise that we're putting before a relationship with Jesus. 10,000 hours, that's a lot of hours to spend um, on video games. But we do it, don't we? We all do it. We all do it um, with other things. Our phones, social media is such a massive one. I know we bang on about it, but our phones have become just something we do, you know, we just take it out and we just look at it. it, It's just what we do. There's other things that come in the way, you know, just endless Netflix series that we just flop in front of. While I had COVID, can I recommend motherland if anyone's seen it it's a bit but it's very very funny and uh, it makes me laugh and i just binged it over covid and i thought gosh i've just binged watched this um but we do that don't we it doesn't have to be an idol like we think of an idol things that we put in the way of our relationship with jesus okay next one You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So we often, you know, other translations say do not use the Lord's name in vain. And we often think of taking God's name in vain as using God's name as a swear word. Okay, so like someone says, oh, my God, in the office. And, you know, years gone by, Christians would have gone, you know, like, and uh, it would have been like really frowned upon. But actually, I think there's more to it than that. I think there's so much more than simply using God's name um, as a swear word. Have you ever thought that it could be that those who take God's name and identify themselves as Christians, but actually don't follow what God is calling us to do or the people God's calling us to be, maybe that could be taking God's name in vain, that we're actually living out the identity that we say that we are. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. How many of us take a Sabbath day now? Now, that doesn't have to be a Sunday. I'm not saying it has to be. But for most of us, it probably is, if we're honest. Most of us, probably, it is a Sunday. But so often, we'll make excuses and just fill it with activities and things, um, you know, in our lives that we just pack, pack into our days. You know, whether it's, I know they're all good things, football clubs, sports clubs, all these different things, they're good things. But we need to have a rest. We need to give our bodies rest. We need to take Sabbath rest. You know, if God took Sabbath rest, how much more do we need to take Sabbath rest? The word Sabbath literally means to stop. When was the last time you just stopped you know, this book again, I can't recommend it enough if you want to you know, get a copy. It just talks about stopping, just sitting in silence in the presence of God. It's transformational, just being silence in the presence of God. On the seventh day, God stopped. And I'm going to quote from the book again. He said, he built a rhythm into the DNA of creation, a tempo of syncopated beat. God worked for six and rested for one. When we fight this work six days, Sabbath one day rhythm, we go against the grain of the universe. We need to just have a day where we stop, or not even a day, time in our day, where we just stop, just stop, and listen to what God wants to say. Number five. Can we get number five? Honour your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honour your father and mother. Mother's Day today. Okay, if you have your mums, honour your, honor your mums. What does that mean to honour them? Joe? think about it. Right, number six. <laughs> number six. <laughs> These ones speak for yourselves. You shall not murder. Next one. You shall not commit adultery. Next one. You should not steal. You might say, well, I've never stolen. I don't steal anything day by day. Someone taught us this week. Who was in the cafe when they taught us how to shoplift? Was that Jerry? Jerry? Jerry didn't teach us how to shoplift. Were you there in that conversation? You were the student. Jerry got taught really well how to shoplift. Apparently, I shouldn't really share this with everyone, should I? But Apparently, if you wear those rheumatoid arthritis braces, isn't it? Those bracelets, they're magnetic. And if you go into a changing room and put them against the uh, the alarm thing on clothes, it pops them off. There you go. No, shh, sh- I sh- didn't tell you that. didn't tell you that. Do not steal. You shall not steal, okay? Um, that's what we got taught this week as a church community. Great. Um, you shall not steal. But how often do we steal? You might say, I'd never do that. I would never do that. I would never steal something that wasn't, um, wasn't mine. I would never take something from a shop or from someone else that wasn't, didn't belong to me. How about withholding things from God that he's asking you to give to him? There, that's a challenging one. How about our finances or our time or, or, or just yeah, giving him time during the day? maybe we're withholding things that we should be giving to God. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Sounds kind of like, I'll never do that. Sounds a bit strange, false testimony, I won't do that. How about joining in the gossip behind someone's back? Why does it feel so good? You know, let's be honest when someone comes to us and goes, Did you know? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Why, did it, why, did it, why does it do something in us that makes you want to kind of go and tell someone else? Doesn't it? How about our gossip in work or, or in just in our lives in general? Next one. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, now maybe that's easier to do, um, or anything that belongs to your neighbour, okay? Thinking about how envious do we get, how jealous do we get of other people? When we look at others, do we find it hard to celebrate in their joy? Is it hard when someone gets a relationship, if someone has a new boyfriend and you really want someone? Is it hard to say, I'm delighted for you? Or do you kind of hold that little thing, I want that to be me? that should have been me or well, how did they get that person you know or I, I rent a house and I'm never I'm never going to be able to afford a house how that's just so on when we start to look or do we celebrate with other people and say that's great I'm delighted for you I'm really delighted that you have that thing you know these are hard these are tough these are the Ten Commandments are there for our everyday lives. You see how they relate to our lives. It's not just thinking about them as some sort of stuffy old rules from years ago. They actually relate to our lives every day now. They're really important. God gave us the Ten Commandments so that we can actually go from a place of hopelessness into a place of happiness. How does that happen? How can that happen? You know, we need to do more than simply memorise them. Okay, so it's no good just memorising them like a Big Mac ingredient, okay? We could we could list them off, but we need to let them settle into our hearts, into our minds. We need to mull on them. That's a great word, isn't it? Mull. Mull on them. Let them kind of sink into our being so that actually... When there is someone gossiping, actually you can think, actually that's not God's best way for me. He doesn't actually want me to be involved in this. You know, when there's someone who's, who's lying, you actually think, that's not, that's not great. I'm going to tell the truth in this situation. When someone gets something new or passes their exam and gets higher grades, you can delight with them rather than feeling like I wish that was me. They aren't irrelevant. They're actually the key to us having happiness. Secondly, this morning, the commandments are given not to punish us, they're for our good. Sometimes we can see the Ten Commandments thought of like as prison bars, holding us back from doing the things that we really want to do. Actually, I would love to be free of these commandments so I can go and live my life as I'd like to live them. But the truth is they're not prison bars, they're protective walls. They're protecting us, actually from life around us. They're given for our good so that we can move from that hopelessness to happiness. And I think we're often guilty of thinking of God as some kind of big cosmic killjoy, just wanting to make our lives dull and boring and completely you know, irrelevant, really, to the world around. But we need to have a look at the Bible again and see what the Bible says about the character and nature of God. The Bible says that God is love, he is love. It doesn't say that he's just loving. He says that he is love. He he's character. God is love personified. He's love incarnate. God loves us. You know, we sing that song, the overwhelming love of God, you know, the reckless love of God. You know, now I struggle to sing that song just because if it hasn't got a simple melody, I'm lost. Okay. But um, when the, when, <laughs> um, Every time I talk to someone who has come to church for the first time, someone who has, from the community, who's come in, I'll tell you every time they'll say to me, love that song, love that song. People from the most broken background situations, they say, that's the song. Can you put, I actually had a request, can you put that one in the worship? Because that really means something to me. Because it's that overwhelming love of God that just breaks that hopelessness. God loves us. He's love personified. And in the Bible, in the book of Luke, Luke, we find one of the most well-known stories, and I apologize slightly because we know we've told it many times, but actually I feel this is for someone this morning, that God shows his attitude of love towards us when we failed him miserably. And it's a parable that Jesus told about the way God responds to us and what God's character is like. And as the story begins, you know we find this young man who decided to leave home. We don't know much about him, probably an older kind of teenage age. Um, But we that's how we picture him. He's tired, he's fed up of living with the boundaries, of living with parents. You know what it's like. Those months before you go off to university, you're like, yeah. I'm going to have my freedom, I'm going to be able to go out, look Dom there, (laughs) go out, have my freedom, enjoy, enjoy life, I'm going to live outside the, you know, I'm going to grow up, have my independence, and some of that is a good thing, you know, that's what you want, Joe, be encouraged, 18, off you go, Um, so, um, (laughs) I'm joking, Uh, but you, you know, this young man is here and he's thinking, actually, if I move out of home, I'll be free, free of the boundaries, free of all of these rules, so in effect, he said, look, dad, Um, I want to get out of here. I want to live the life the way that I choose rather than under the household rules. I'm tired of being here, so give me your portion of the estate, my inheritance that I will have uh, once you die. What a funny request. What a funny request. Imagine going to your parents or your child coming to you and saying, can I have my inheritance now? I'd be like, no, like think again, but they're not this dad, Okay. It would have been a difficult thing for him to do, both physically, getting, sharing up the estate. But this boy didn't care. He didn't really care that he was inconveniencing his father or hurting him, actually, maybe causing him some pain. He was just set on doing what he wanted to do. And his father could have denied him. He could have said, you're not going anywhere yet. Of course, that's a ridiculous request. You're not going to do that. Um, you're going to stay here with me. But he gave him the free will to choose, He gave him the free will to choose and that's the choice that we have too and I don't know what kind of home life this boy had but I presume it was a good one you know he certainly lived um in a in a good neighborhood it seems like the affluent area he was in a a big house you know working on the farm um they probably you know They had servants working for them. The Bible tells us that. So it's probably a good home. We can also assume it was an affectionate, loving home because the Bible tells us that when he returned home, he was kissed and and the father was pleased to see him and dressed him in amazing clothes and threw his arms around him, hugged him. So it was an affectionate, loving home. And therefore, I don't think it was problems that drove this boy away. It was just that he wanted his independence, He wanted to go his own way and in his mind his father and the rules stood um, in between him having a free life and doing what he wanted to do. The father stood in the way of that and how often that can sometimes be our perception of God that God is going to stand in the way of me living my life freely and doing what I want to do. So in his mind, he thought the best idea would be to set off. So he went off. He went to the city, as we know. Um, and uh, he didn't even say thank you to his father. Didn't say thank you for caring for me all these years. Um, now I'm going to visit you or anything. He just went off. He left home. And there's a spring in his step. He had money in his pockets. And off he went to the to, to seek the bright lights. And he hit the town. And he was a popular person. And the Bible tells us that he wasted all his money in wild living. The money ran out. Everything ran out. He was reduced to nothing. And very soon he hit rock bottom. Everything was gone. He hit rock bottom. Then we read, About this time the money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one gave him anything. And you know, one thing that I've learned from life is is that when we do our own thing, when we make mistakes, when we actively go out our way to do something wrong, when we sin, often a period of, of famine follows. You know, there's a period where we feel disconnected, the fun has run out, actually, and we see things for as it really is. You know, we see the mistake and the mess up of what we've done, and that's what happened to the young man in the story. The Bible tells us that he finally came to his senses. He came to his senses, and it's amazing when that happens in someone's life. Sometimes it's a gradual process of just realizing over the weeks, actually, you know, this isn't great, this isn't good, it's not going to. Right. Sometimes it's instant. An instant moment in someone's life when they realise this this—this is all going terribly wrong. They realise that their friends aren't really friends at all. They realise that alcohol isn't actually um, the cure. It's just numbing the pain. It dawns on them, but they have to see it for themselves. You know, we can pray, we can lead people as far as we can to Jesus, but it's only the Holy Spirit, that conviction, that Holy Spirit conviction where someone says, actually, I need a transformation, I need a change. So the young man, he originally thought he had it tough in his father's house, but now suddenly he realizes that his father was there with those walls, like the Ten Commandments were protecting walls. They were protecting him. They were protective boundaries. They weren't for him to have a miserable life. They were protecting him. And here's what happened next. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. That's what God does for us. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And this story tells us about two things, the sinfulness of us as human beings and the love of God, the overwhelming love of God the love of God that, that runs to meet us, even though we turn our back on him, even though we don't follow what he's asking us to do, but God loves us and he is going to, willing to go to any lengths to get us back. You know, there's no, what does that song say? No shadow won't light up, no mountain he won't climb up, coming after me. You know, that's what God does. He chases us down. He wants to co- us to come back to him. And Jesus said, greater love has no one than this and to lay down his life for his friends. You know, it breaks God's heart when we leave him. It deeply hurts him when we turn against him and go our own way. When we pay no attention to the boundaries and the guidelines that he's given us to live by, God will allow us to make our own choices, yet Even when we fail him miserably, even when we get into a mess that seems like there's no way out, God is willing to forgive us. And when we come to our senses, we come to him. God's commands are there not to hold us back in our lives, but to help us live in freedom with those protecting walls around us. We actually have freedom when we follow God's commands. Finally, if we truly love God, we will keep his commands. This is when we go back to the very first commandment, okay? If you or I had written the Ten Commandments, I wonder if we would have started with a different one first. You know, for instance, we might say, oh, it's definitely the most important, do not murder that's the worst thing in our world today is that people are murdering killing one another you know you think of wars think of all the different things that spring to mind you think if, if, if that was the number one commandment the world would be a better place or do not commit adultery because the breakdown of family life in our in our community that's been the problem that's what we should that's what we should put as number one all that's going on in our culture. Yet it's interesting how God began the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment deals with everything. Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. That is the first commandment. Love the Lord your God. Why? Why is it our first commandment? The first commandment, because if we get this right, all of the others fall in place. All of the others fall in place if we can get this right. If we love God with all our hearts, all our souls, and all our minds, then we and we don't have any other gods before Him. Nothing in place. It's the most important thing in my life to please God, to be in relationship with God. We won't bow down to false gods. We won't take God's name in vain because we'll know our identity. And our calling and our purpose in Christ, and if we love God with all our hearts, souls and mind, then we will set aside a day and time in our day to worship Him. We'll know the importance of, of just stopping. that actually, if we've, you know we've, we've gone a couple of days and haven't stopped, actually we'll be like thirsty. It'd be like, we're, our souls are thirsty. I need that time with God. I need to stop and take that time with God. We won't steal from others or lie or murder and so forth. The reality is that if we love God, we'll be doing the right thing. If we love God with all of our beings, we'll want to honor him in the right way. It all starts with God being number one, being first place in our lives, because we'll serve him out of a place of worship. Do you know we serve what we worship? We serve what we worship. What are you worshiping? What are you worshiping day by day in your lives? That will be the thing that we're serving. If God isn't number one in our lives, then everything else will be in chaos. Everything else will be in chaos. But if God is number one in our lives, then everything else find its proper balance. Everything else we find begins to fall into place. So this morning, I want to just encourage you. I want to encourage you that if you find yourself in a place of hurt and pain, hopelessness that you've experienced, you know, God can use that as we start to put things into place. God can use that to make you into the person he wants you to be, to create you into the person that he's called you to be. He has a purpose for your life. God can take that hopeless situation in your life and turn it round. If we remain rooted in his word, holding on to his commands, holding on to his promises, he can take it and transform it. The 10 commandments are given in a way to show us how unholy we are, how much in need of Jesus we are. You know, the Bible tells us that if we, and break one command, then we're guilty of all. So we can't look at someone else and say, I just told a little lie, but they've murdered someone. You know, we're guilty of all. We need Jesus. The commandments are given so we so clearly see our need of Jesus as we approach Easter. You know, how, how much we need to live in the resurrection, knowing that Jesus took it all for us on the cross. They show us how we need Jesus' forgiveness, how we need to accept Jesus into our lives and to be welcomed back into God's loving arms.